Welcome to another episode of Civic Cipher. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. Go by the name of Q Ward on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. <laughs> if you carry the one and then you come back on Saturday, depending on if my mom has church the next day. <laughs> Never mind. I'll explain it to you guys later. We'll just call me Q today. Q. All right. Q. Anyway, we back up in you one more again. We are going to talk more about some things going on some of them are a little disturbing I'll, I'll admit this week we got some stuff that we got to process um but yeah some things that have to do with race relations in this country um i'm ever the optimist and so um, we'll get through it but q is here to keep us grounded and rooted in reality and so we'll have that perspective as well be sure to stick around because we will be discussing uh, the Minneapolis police officer that shot Amir Locke um, and the lack of charges being brought uh, forth in that instance. We're also going to spend some time talking about a uh, clerk, I believe a front desk clerk in Florida, um, called the police. Police showed up. Uh, called the, the clerk called the police on a, a guest staying there. Clerk was black guest was not black called the police on the guest please show up and arrest the clerk this is the strangest story but we're going to get into that um we also have um our way black history fact we're going to be discussing the harlem hellfighters those guys are awesome i've been reading about them so i'm really excited about that and a whole lot more coming your way uh like we always do each and every week on civic cypher but first and foremost with your permission q board I would like to discuss some ebony excellence. How does that sound? Shall we? We shall. So, this week we're talking about Chicago's Bogan Computer Technical High School senior, Stephen Thomas. Shout out to our baby boy, Stephen Thomas. He has been awarded over $1 million in scholarships and offered admission to more than 30 universities. The Chicago, Illinois 17-year-old will be graduating with a 4.47 GPA this summer and on top of being a straight-A student is part of multiple extracurriculars in and out of the classroom. This, of course, comes from the Atlanta Black Star. Um, so we always like to take a moment and shout out something good going out. And today we're dedicating it to him. I'll uh, share a little bit more with you here. Um, Thomas comes from a seven sibling home raised by a single mother. He says he'd like to use his story to provide inspiration to others like him who faced hardship, but want to continue in pursuing their goals. This comes from him quote, when I am recognized, I won't just been, won't just have been another black teen on the news for something bad, like gang violence or me getting wrongfully shot. I want people to look at me and be like, wow, he's really out there doing something that we really thought we couldn't do just because of how we looked End quote. His mother, Erica, is an educator herself and Thomas's first teacher. Quote, no matter what life presents you, you just go for it. You write your own story. We know there are narratives out here but about our black boys, but it is our responsibility to change that narrative, she said. Um, we do all types of ebony excellence and we talk about Chicago a lot. We have to defend Chicago a lot on this show. Well... This ebony excellence and this student in Chicago is well-deserving. Um, and it certainly does help frame the other side of 
the conversation the right way. So yeah, a million dollars in scholarships accepted to 30 universities, of course, a straight A student, and he's making national headlines. So once again, shout out to you, Stephen Thomas. Keep going, baby boy. You're making us all proud. Now, we don't really have to, we don't really have to defend Chicago Rams. We just point out obvious holes in false narratives and straw man arguments that, you know, people like to make about black on black crime and things like that, that don't exist. There it is. I love, I love that you said that. Sometimes you just know how to say it better than me, man. <laughs> I need to talk way less. Just let you do this, man. Cause you got it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right. So, um, I got to share some, some, strenuous information. This comes from the Washington Post. Um, the Minneapolis police officer who fatally shot Amir Locke during a pre-dawn no-knock raid in February will not face charges in the killing, prosecutors announced. In a statement, Minnesota At Attorney General Keith Ellison and Hennepin County Attorney Mike Freeman, who jointly reviewed the case, said there was, quote, insufficient admissible evidence to file criminal charges, end quote. I know you want to get in right there, Q, but let me let me finish. They said they could not prove beyond a reasonable doubt that officer, we're not going to say this name, who fatally shot Locke had violated the state's use of deadly force statute. Prosecutors also said they could find no criminal wrongdoing in the decision making that led to Locke's fatal shooting, but strongly criticized the use of a no knock warrant. Well, at least there's something there. You know, you stab me in the heart and then don't spit on me. I appreciate the don't spitting on me part. Um, I, I, okay, before I get to the comments from his family, I want to just revisit this for a second. So we talked about this when it happened. We talked about this on the show. Um, officers burst into a house. It was a no-knock raid. Ten seconds later, Amir Locke is dead. He was sleeping on the couch. It wasn't his, his apartment. He was sleeping on the couch. He woke up and grabbed his gun. Um, and, you know, the video shows he was raising the gun, um, but he was also rising up out of being asleep. Right. And the video cuts off. At least that's the video that I saw. Um, and as he was like getting up out of the bed and, of course, had his gun in his hand, um, the assumption is the, the following frame is when he was shot and uh, lost his life. Um, I do want to revisit this because I think that this is important. Um, what we see is the police kick in the door and uh, you're, you're listening to us. Just imagine if you're a gun owner, I'm, I'm not a gun person. I say it all the time on the show. I'm not a gun person, but maybe you are. So imagine you're a gun person, right? And someone kicks in the door of your house, right? Let's say, even say that they say that they're the police. Right. But you don't know for sure. This could be a robber just saying that they're the police trying to get you to cooperate. You don't know. You know, and if you grew up in a rough neighborhood and you're kind of paranoid, maybe you're a little edgy. Right. You know, so let's let's have that be a part of the narrative, because maybe you do trust someone who just says, hey, I'm the police. Do whatever I say. But in a lot of neighborhoods that I've been to and certainly the neighborhood I come from, the police are also the bad guys in a lot of those stories. So. Um, it could be the police. It could not be the police. And even if it is the police, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to be okay. So this is your reality. Right? Someone kicks in the door of your house and you're startled awake from your sleep. Right. And you're a gun owner in this imaginary scenario. 
So you grab your gun. That's how you protect, protect yourself. That's how you defend yourself from whatever's coming your way. If you're startled, it could be a bear. It could be a person. It could be whatever, you know? And before you're able to make sense of what's happening, you're dead. All right, now let's not imagine it's you. Let's imagine you have a child and that happens to your child. Or if you're not old enough to have children, let's imagine it's your parent, your father, your mother. Let's imagine it's anybody that exists in your world before they have a chance to even process what's happening. They're afraid. Someone's yelling, screaming. A bunch of people are running into the house. And they do the only thing that they believe they can do to protect themselves from whatever these noises are. And before they even get a chance to process it, they're dead. That's what happened here. Now, we know that. That was established on the show. We made it a point, Q and I, to say, how unfair is it for you, the people who are supposed to protect us to just throw your hands up and say, well, that's unfortunate. It's collateral damage and move on with your life. Not even heeding the responsibility of the situation, not even acknowledging the fact that you've forever altered the course of not just this person's life, but this community's life, the the lives of the people in the community, you know, It's not just one person. I mean, a cousin lost their cousin, a a sister lost her brother, a brother might have lost his brother, a mother, of course, lost her son. We'll read about that in a second, you know, Um, and that's just family members, not not to mention friends, co-workers, whatever, whatever the story is here. And no one's held accountable. All right, Q, I want you to jump in right here because the last time we talked about this, you had a lot to say about a lack of police accountability and how no one seems to care about that, especially when the person is black. You've heard the words existential threat before. Mm -hmm. I'd argue over the last two years, the entire world has been dealing with an existential threat in this pandemic. That sounds like a very dramatic way to describe it, except a million people have died. So what else would we call it? Except those lives by most stretches of American um, awareness seem very cheap. Mm. Like people just seem very okay with the idea that in a very, very preventable way, we lost a million people. Yeah. Life in and of itself has seemed to become cheap, especially to the haves in this have versus have not world that we live in, this have versus have not country that we live in. Now, understanding that not in all societies, all countries, uh, all city, states, provinces, is it the haves versus the have-nots, right? In some places, those two separate groups of people exist in a way that is not um, adversarial. However, in the capitalist society that we live in, it is very much 
adversarial. Yeah. In order for us to remain the haves, you have to remain the have-nots. We speak about the idea that they just throw their hands up and say, oh, man, our bad. After murdering someone who, even if he was the target of the warrant, was not ordered to be executed, I'm assuming, but this young man, not even a person of interest in this no-knock, surprise, scare-you-to-death style raid that happened. Mm. Now, you mentioned, you know, someone being a gun person. And gun person sounds like gun advocates, gun, you know, person that's going to march down the street and, 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 you know, protest our Second Amendment right. You later said gun owner, which I like a lot more because I fit into that category. Okay. I think I've said on the show multiple times, if the government had a everybody give us their guns law tomorrow, I'm first. I show everybody how to get there. Y'all don't even have to use y'all GPS. <laughs> a little black and white car with the Phi Beta Sigma license plate on the back of it. And I'll show y'all where to go to turn the guns in. The idea for me has not always been that that was a way to protect my family. But I came home to a man sitting on my porch claiming my house. <laughs> so when you have a pregnant woman and a baby and there's a man sitting on your porch who may or may not have a gun telling you that your house is his, it puts some things in perspective for you, especially at a time in our country where people that look like us and more specifically my children had become literal targets. A man became the president on the back of the idea that he would keep people that look like my children out of this country. So when put in a position where, hey, sir, and this was by a law enforcement officer, just a heads up, you might be the only person in this community that doesn't have a gun. Not telling you you need to get one, just telling you that's something to think about. That was a very sobering moment for me, mm. especially as this pandemic followed this new movement of, of hyper xenophobia, hyper racism, uh, hyper bigotry. Then we had a pandemic where you couldn't find toilet paper or water at the store. All of these factors coming into play, once again, this have versus have nots thing to be viewed as the have who doesn't have a gun surrounded by have nots that do. It changes the way you think about things a little bit. But once again, it does not make me a gun person, just a gun owner. Well, it's necessary, I think. And it's, it gives a voice to this scenario. It's, it's, you know, for better or worse, there is a second amendment, right. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, in this country and people have the right to exercise that. Do Relative they though? To the, say again? Do they though? Uh, we'll say it's not equally uh, afforded socially. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, because but, now, given the scenario that you mentioned, right, you said, you know, that a person would be on edge. You don't have to be on edge to be asleep and someone kicks your door down screaming. I don't care what they're screaming. You Stunned. should not be expected to comprehend and process and be in right mind, awaken out of your sleep 
by men kicking your door in bearing assault absolutely rifle. that's 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 exactly where i was going you're with a that. terrified human being whether you're on edge or not even if you're of, of sound mind in a happy home with a happy family and you know all is well that scenario should be terrifying you know um watch this on um uh, my other show that i do uh i did an episode where I talked about no-knock warrants, and uh, that's what we're talking about here. That's what happened with Amir Lock. Um, the police used a no-knock warrant. Basically, they kicked in the door and then announced their presence. Um, there was another one where they went to the wrong house, and uh, in that situation, of course, everything uh, bad that could possibly go wrong went wrong with that and it was in the wrong house um but the fact that there's no accountability um in situations like that like you can just they can just make mistakes and everybody's like well you know that's the price we pay pay as a society it's just collateral damage and that's the part that feels sort of unfair you know i think you hit the nail on the head when you said that the price of life is cheap because these things don't seem to change. You mentioned that Amir Locke was not even a person of interest. He wasn't named in the warrant. He, they didn't even know he was going to be there. <laughs> he just happened to be there. Second, the, the Second Amendment legally affords him the right to bear arms, same as any other citizen of this country. Except if the police kick your door in to murder you. Yeah. And you now you ram this, you're not allowed to bear arms. Because now, I can this. point to the fact that you have a gun as a justification for murdering you for no reason. And you then what right is there? The, what, what kind of right is that? Yeah, absolutely. You nailed it. Now, you said something a while ago. You said that um, when, the, when the police end up taking the life of a person, it's very different than when a regular person does, you know, you mentioned like manslaughter, you know, if I accidentally do something and it causes someone to lose their life, um, I still have to bear the responsibility. It might not be a murder charge. There was no intention there, but there was a loss of life. Someone has to pay for it. Someone has to repay that debt to society. Someone has to be held accountable, whatever the case is. You said this to me, Q. That was a brilliant point you made. Um, in this case, and in lots of police cases, um, the police can just make mistakes with no accountability. Um, I do want to read this, and I don't want to get back to police accountability, but let me, let me breathe some life into this. Um, so, quote, Amir Locke's life mattered. End quote. Ellison and Freeman said in a statement, quote, he should be alive today and his death is a tragedy. End quote. Locke, a 22-year-old black man, of course, shot and killed um, as the SWAT team executed a, a warrant related to a homicide investigation in neighboring St. Paul. Um, he was shot in the face, chest, and shoulder, suffered a graze wound to the wrist. Usually when people are shot in the wrist, it's because they're trying to like protect themselves or like put their hands up or something. He was later pronounced dead at a hospital. It was not clear from the initial video if his gun was pointed at officers or whether anyone ordered him to drop it before he was shot. The incident lasted less than 10 seconds. Okay. I wanted to finish that just so that it was said. Um, again, that comes from the Washington Post. Now, 
This is the same sort of tactic that ended the life of Breonna Taylor. We've talked about her on the show too, of course. That's another big name. We shouted that name alongside George Floyd when we were protesting in 2020. Um, a no-knock warrant where she didn't have anything to do with anything. She wasn't involved in anything, whatever. And then now she's dead. Her mother had to bury her. And then everybody's looking at all the police at least are looking around like, well, shoot. I mean, you know, it ain't our fault, you know. And then all the other police in the country are like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Sure. Sad, but, you know, it's cost of doing business. And we're here to say that cost is too high. That's, that's too high a price. You know, I mean, some things you just can't make mistakes on. If you get a weapon, if you get a tool whose only purpose is to end a life, you don't get to make mistakes. You got to be very sure about that. You know, there's no amb- room for ambiguity. And if you're afraid that someone's going to take your life, perhaps that's the wrong job for you. You know, I'll say it again. Um, now, this is the part that I think you'll flip out on, Q. I don't like to just have bad news. If you listen to the show every week, you know, I try to bring some, some levity or some positivity or silver lining to just about everything when I can. And I wanted to talk about, well, you know, sometimes there are charges brought forth and then sometimes people are actually convicted. You know, and so, you know, we're getting there. We're moving in the right direction. That's really what I wanted to say. I'm honest, my, my hand to God. Um, my friend Margaret was, was with me when, when we were putting the show together and she was kind of giving us some, some, some feedback on some topics that we needed to talk about this week. And we collectively discovered in researching the amount of police officers that were actually convicted of crimes We found that since 2020, there were four, right, who were convicted of, you know, um, like killing a person. Um, And I wanted to use Derek Chauvin, uh, the person who knelt on the neck of George Floyd, and um, what other, other names I could find. But the only other name that I could find where a Black person was involved since 2020 was Kim Potter, right? And Kim Potter, if you remember, is the woman who killed Dante Wright. She yelled out, taser, 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 and then shot her gun. And it killed Dante Wright. He was trying to like uh, escape from a traffic stop, um, which again, isn't a crime. No one that says that to me will get any more of an audience from me. Everything runs when it's scared. Deer run when they're scared. Cats run when they're scared. Anything with a nervous system <laughs> will run when it's scared or it'll fight. Those are two things that are any creature created by our same creator, whoever you believe that creator to be, has endowed us all with that same operating system. So that is not a crime, right? That is a higher function. It is, it is a limbic function. More than your thinking brain, that is your lizard brain. I need to survive. However you feel what survival is, it's up to you. But people do that, and so do other creatures on this planet. But I want to say this. I found four names since 2020. Guess how many I found overall? Going back to 1965, that's as far back as it goes. Guess how many names I found? Q, help me out. How many names do you think I found? I don't think it's going to be exponentially more than that. 
right? If you if you're using the same math this amount of time by this many people, it ain't gonna be that number. Thirty-eight entries, I, and and admittedly, I was on Wikipedia. I don't ever claim that Wikipedia is the strongest you know, most thorough source, but, you know, for the most part, it gives us a guidepost, a guideline of what we're really looking at. 38 entries on the Wikipedia page going all the way back to 1965 of U.S. law enforcement officers convicted for an on-duty killing in the United States. A lot of those were white victims, white, white people that lost their lives. Not a lot of them were black. And that's our reality. And that's why we had to talk about this today. And I know we got like 30 seconds left. So Q, your final thoughts before we move on. Uh, be them black, white, Asian, Hispanic, uh, Pacific Islander. Um, they were people. Mm. Their lives didn't mean nothing. Mm. And for a much larger number than 38 was killed, murdered, murdered. Uh, I don't care what the conviction was called. These people's lives ceased to exist at the hands of the people paid to protect them. And when those mistakes are made, far too often they get to throw up their hand and just say, our bad. And that is the sentence. This hmm. mistake happens with impunity. Well, uh, we'll leave you with this. In qualified immunity. Stick around your radios. We're coming back with more Civic Cypher right after this.